Hello there, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Health Mystery Solved. I have gotten so much feedback about the solo episodes I did on thyroid, that was episode 27 and 28, and how much you guys enjoyed the explanations, and along with that, I've been getting lots of requests for more solos. So, of course, I am listening, and I will have more solos coming up for you, including this episode, which I am super excited about. Today, I want to talk to you about autoimmunity because this is something that affects more and more people these days. In fact, it is estimated that 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease, but I will argue that it's even more than that because there are so many more people that have it and don't even know it. In my practice, for example, more than half the people that I see have one or more autoimmune diseases, and many of them come because they're confused about what to do, but they know that there must be a natural way. And thankfully, there almost always is. Autoimmunity can be quite confusing, and there's not a ton out there to really explain it. So today, I want to help you understand it better and really demystify autoimmunity, no matter what actual autoimmune disease it is. I will tell you about the different triggers that we often see with autoimmunity, the things we can do to find them, and of course, what could be done about each one. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to do a super quick listener shout out. And this is to SGW listener who left us a five-star review on iTunes. She said, lots of good information. I especially like the fact that Ina discusses everything in layman's terms, plus the real life examples that she uses. I plan to keep listening. Thank you so much for this review. I really appreciate you taking a minute to post that. And if you guys like the show and could take a second to post a review on iTunes, it is so helpful because those reviews help to get the show more towards the top so that more people can see and learn about all the different things they can do to help improve their health. And I also love reading them and it just keeps me fired up so I can continue to provide all of this free content for you all. All right, now without further ado, let's get back to autoimmunity. What I'm about to say may surprise many of you. Did you know that if you have one autoimmune disease, you're more likely to get others? Actually, it has been researched that you can get up to eight different autoimmune diseases in your lifetime. That's a lot. Crazy, right? Now, I'm not saying this to scare you in Anyway, as a listener of the show, you probably already know that my whole point and mission for the show is to never scare anyone, but actually the opposite, to show people that there's so many answers out there and all the different things that you can do. So the reason I'm telling you this is to show you that these issues come from the immune system and not the actual organ that's being attacked. So let's first go over what is an autoimmune disease. So autoimmunity is when our body attacks our own organs or tissues. And we have a lot of different types of autoimmune diseases. For example, there's Hashimoto's, which many of you know that's what I have. Um, it's when the immune system attacks your own thyroid. There's rheumatoid arthritis, which is when the body attacks our own joints. MS, which is when the body attacks the myelin sheath. And lupus, when the body attacks the connective tissues, just to give you a few examples. Now, what's very important to remember here is that the tissue that's being attacked is not actually at fault. So for example, in Hashimoto's, it's not the thyroid's fault that it's being attacked. 
just like it's not the brain's fault it's being attacked in cases of MS or the joint's fault that they're being attacked in arthritis. The issue is that it's the immune system that got confused and lost track of what's good and what's bad. And I'll explain the different reasons behind that in just a minute. But what happens is when the immune system gets confused, it then starts to attack its own tissues, thinking that it's a foreign invader. And that's how autoimmunity gets created. Now, conventionally, the typical treatment for autoimmunity is just to suppress the immune system because the thought is that if the immune system is overreacting, then let's just bring it down so we can't overreact. Sort of makes sense, right? But on the other hand, we kind of need our immune system. We need it to fight our daily battles with infections and the different things that we come in contact with. So we can't just suppress the immune system because we're gonna be more prone to getting these infections and even other diseases like cancer because the immune system isn't properly watching for them. The more integrative approach is to actually figure out why the immune system got confused in the first place and address each one of those things to then basically unconfuse it. Now, of course, this process isn't super simple, but it's also not that complicated if you know what to look for. And so I want to show you exactly how we would go about this. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. In a more functional approach, our goal is to always figure out why things are happening so that we can get to the bottom of it and fix it from the inside out. Same goes for autoimmunity. In order to get to the root of an autoimmune disease, no matter which specific disease it is, we have to see what got the immune system confused in the first place. I call this looking at immune triggers, and it's been shown that there are four main triggers that can get the immune system into a tizzy. So these are foods, infections, toxins, and stress. Let's take each one at a time and I will explain how and why these are triggers and the things that you can do to find them and support them. So first, let's start with foods. The reason why food could be such a trigger is because when you eat a food that your body doesn't like, it triggers an immune response, and the immune system actually sees the food as a foe and not a friend and starts to attack it. Then we have this concept called molecular mimicry, which is when the immune system attacks something, like a food in this case, and when some of the molecules of that food have similarity to the molecules in one of our tissues or organs, then while the immune system attacks that food, it can accidentally attack the organ because there's similarities there. Does that make sense? So what makes our immune system not like a specific food? Well, one of the big things is leaky gut. Now, I talk a lot about this concept and explain it in detail in the solo episode that I did on IBS, which was episode 23. So if you missed that episode and want to learn more about the inner workings of the digestive system, dysbiosis and leaky gut, and how all of those fit together and create those issues in the body, definitely check out episode 23. 
Now, in this case, if you have dysbiosis, which is an overgrowth of bad bugs like bacteria and yeasts and parasites, and also a low level of the good flora, which is really, really common, what happens is that the bad bugs can create inflammation and irritation of the gut lining, leading to leaky gut, which is like having little microscopic holes in the gut lining. Now, if we're eating foods and we don't digest them as well as we should, which again is super common if we're low in enzymes or stomach acid, or perhaps we don't have enough bile to emulsify the fats that we eat, our food is not going to be broken down completely. As the food goes down into the intestines, some of it can seep through the little holes in the lining if we have leaky gut. And if there are any recognizable proteins from the food not being properly digested, they get recognized by the immune system as a bad thing because food doesn't belong in a bloodstream. It's supposed to stay in the intestine. So if it seeps out, it's actually a very natural immune response for the body to see that it's something that it believes is bad, it doesn't recognize it and attacks it. And then what happens is once it attacks it, it forms an antibody against it. So then the next time that you eat that food, the body says, oh, I remember you. You were the thing I attacked yesterday or the other day. Well, I made an antibody, so I'm going to attack you again. And so once that antibody is created, every time that you eat that food, the body is going to attack it. And that's one way that we can get food sensitivities. The other way food is a trigger is due to certain genetic factors. Some of you may have heard or already know that there is a big, big connection between gluten and autoimmunity. Why is that? That's because some of us are positive for the DQ2 and or the DQ8 gene. Now, if you have these genes and they're positive, what that means is that genetically, we are not meant to digest and process gluten if we have those genetics. And so every time we eat gluten, inflammation is created. Oftentimes when we're young and healthy and before we have a ton of exposures to toxins and other pollutants, the body deals with it and we may not have any symptoms. But as we live our lives and we add stuff to our bucket, like I've always say, that bucket fills up and the body can't handle the extra inflammation and the immune system gets very, very tired of constantly dealing with the inflammation that gluten creates if we have those genes. So people often say, but I ate gluten for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. Why am I reacting now all of a sudden? And then we test them and we see that they have one or both of the genes. And in that case, they were always reactive. It was just not as visible. And finally, the body became so inflamed that it could not handle it anymore and then started to show symptoms. So one of the best tests to see if gluten is an issue and if gluten can be responsible for autoimmunity for you, or if you're just more predisposed to autoimmunity, is the genetic DQ2, DQ8 test. This test can be done through a cheek swab or through a blood draw, and it's available at most labs, and it's even often covered by insurance, which is really nice. So if you have an autoimmune disease or a family history of autoimmunity, I highly, highly recommend getting this test. And if you have any of the genes, even if it's just one of them, it's very important to stay away from gluten to prevent your immune system from turning on itself. 
I actually interviewed Dr. Peter Osborne back in episode nine. He is one of the world's authorities on gluten and genetic testing. So if you want to learn even more about this, definitely check out episode nine. Another important thing to mention about food is that in addition to what we eat, it is also so important to look at how we combine the food and when we eat. Many people are so focused on what and can sometimes remove so many different triggering foods, but don't always pay attention to the balancing, which is so important. In order to have balance, we have to make sure that we have a balanced blood sugar and eating too many carbs without balancing them out with protein or fats can really offset our blood sugar. And one of the biggest stressors on the body is blood sugar dysregulation. So that would be not timing meals properly, skipping too many meals and just not balancing them. And that can be a big trigger to autoimmunity as well. So to help minimize food as a trigger, I recommend balancing your meals, looking at genetics to see if gluten is an issue for you, and if you have those genes, to definitely recommend removing gluten, and also looking at supporting the gut and seeing if you have food sensitivities so that you can remove those while working on healing your gut to help lessen the immune response. There are tons of labs that do food sensitivity testing. One of my favorites is Viber in America Labs. They do a very comprehensive panel for some of the main triggering foods like gluten, dairy, corn, soy, and nuts through their Zoomer panel. They test three different antibodies instead of just one like other labs. And they also break down each food into its various components and test each and every one of them. So it's a lot more comprehensive than most other labs that I've seen. When it comes to food, I always say that this is a marathon and not a race. We want to make these changes so they last and going a little at a time is often very helpful to make sure that you can incorporate it into your life and really make it a lifestyle change versus just a short-term fat diet. I always encourage people to start by balancing meals, eating regularly, and being mindful of foods that may not be working with their genetics and their immune system. All of this also helps the stress part from a physical angle, which is also another big trigger. The next trigger is infection. Now this is a trigger because often these infections are not acute, but more chronic. And the immune system is likely aware that they are there and has been dealing with them for a long time. Since the infections are typically chronic, the immune system is constantly fighting them and eventually it gets tired. So imagine it's sort of like soldiers that go to war. They fight and fight and fight and often they come back and they are exhausted and many of them come back with PTSD. So it's sort of the same thing with the immune system. It gets so tired of fighting these infections and since it can't get rid of them, it becomes so tired that eventually it almost like gets PTSD where it just accidentally turns on itself and starts attacking its own tissues. Now, some typical infections that could be triggers are gut infections. And we have all types of bacteria in the gut. We have good bacteria, we have bad bacteria, and they all need to be balanced. And so these infections create leaky gut, like we just talked about, and that causes a lot of immune confusion. So things like candida, which is a type of yeast, various bacteria, 
parasites, you know, things like H. pylori, um, you know, these are all things that are considered dysbiosis and tend to be chronic that can tire out the immune system. Now, the things that can make us more prone to this is taking antibiotics or steroids or PPIs, which are things like Nexium or Omiprazole, um, eating foods that are higher in sugar or carbs, having stress, maybe just having low good bacteria, you know, and certain immune challenges. So these are all things that we are all exposed to at some point or another in our lifetime. So it is so common to have this dysbiosis and you know we want to make sure we look at it. Now, thankfully, we can test for these infections to see if anything is going on. A really great test to do is a stool test, which looks at the large intestine, and that can look at lots of different bacteria and parasites, and also some digestive markers to see if we have enough digestive enzymes, enough stomach acid, enough bile so that we're processing our fats. Another good test to look at infections in the small intestine is an organic acid test. Now, this is a little bit different than a SIBO breath test, which is a breath test to look at small intestine bacterial overgrowth. That's actually another good test to look at it. But an organic acid test actually looks at the various byproducts that different bacteria and yeast produce, and it basically test them in the urine. I find that an organic acid test is one of the best tests for yeast. You can't always find yeast through a stool test and you can't see through a breath test because the breath test only tests for bacteria, whereas the organic acid urine test is going to test for both bacteria and yeast. So if these things are present, we can use natural antimicrobials. So those are things like oregano and grapefruit seed extract, berberine, garlic, and clove, just to name a few. And they are wonderful in naturally clearing out these infections, you know, both yeast and bacteria, and they even work on parasites as well. Another big source of infection are viruses. And this is something that is very, very common, especially with those who are dealing with autoimmunity. Epstein-Barr virus is a biggie, and it's a virus that many of us are exposed to from a very young age. And once the virus is in our system, and a lot of us can actually get the virus by the time we're three or four years old, it never really leaves. But it becomes more of like in a dormant state until something happens, like a stressor, and that is when it can reactivate and cause havoc on the body. I did a whole episode just on the Epstein-Barr virus. That was episode number four with Dr. Kasha Kine. So if you want to learn more about EBV, check out that episode. Um, in the show notes of that episode, I list the full blood work that you can run to see if you've had EBV in the past and to see if it may have in fact reactivated so you know if it's an issue for you. Now, other viruses that could be triggers are things like cytomegalovirus um, and the herpes virus. And most labs can test for viral titers so you can see if there's an issue. Now, if something is active, there are tons of natural antiviral nutrients like lysine or silver, monolaurin and lomatium, and they could be super helpful in lowering the viral load. And by helping the body fight this virus, gives the immune system a little break. It almost kind of says, hey, immune system, I know you're tired. I know you've been doing a lot. So why don't you go take a little nap? Let me help you along with it. So that then once the virus load is down or the bacteria load is down, when the immune system does wake up from its nap, 
it is more rested, it's refreshed, and it's able to then see what it actually needs to do versus being bombarded by anything and everything. Make sense? The third trigger is toxins. So we have to remember that our liver is like a filter. The liver is responsible for filtering out a lot of the toxins that we're exposed to. And over our lifetime, we're exposed to a lot of stuff, food, water, environment. There's just so many chemicals. Even if we lead a clean lifestyle, we can't live in a bubble, right? So we're still exposed to stuff every day. And so being that your liver is your filter, we have to make sure that we're cleaning that filter every so often. You know, it's like your air conditioner. If you don't clean your air conditioning filter for a little while, you're not going to get great air. Your air conditioner is not going to work as well. What happens if you don't clean your filter for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, right? We're going to get pretty dirty air. So the same thing here. Now, if we look at some of the toxins, you know, we're exposed to things like chemicals. We have heavy metals. We have um, different toxins in the water supply. There's toxins in our food, you know, especially if we're not eating organic, you know, the different herbicides and pesticides. And so we want to make sure that we look for some of these toxins and then support the liver in cleansing them out. So when it comes to toxins, this is really a twofold approach. First, we want to try to see how we can minimize the amounts of toxins that we're exposed to. So trying to eat organic if possible, changing the type of water that we drink. So if you're drinking water that comes from the tap, there's usually chlorine and other additives and we want to make sure that we're getting clean water. So either getting a good quality filter, like a reverse osmosis filter, or getting spring water, but I always recommend getting it in glass so that then we're not getting the extra toxins from the different chemicals in the plastic. And then the other part of the approach is to see what toxins are already in our system and work on cleansing those out. So heavy metals tends to be a biggie, and that's something that we can thankfully test for. We can look for heavy metals, especially things like mercury, which definitely play a big role with autoimmunity through a test called the TRI-TEST, and that's done by Quicksilver Scientific. And they test for mercury and actually all of the other heavy metals within the red blood cell. So it's a very accurate test. There's also hair testing. Hair testing doesn't work for every single metal, but it does work as a good read on most metals. So that's another great test. And if we do find that heavy metals are present, there's a lot of things that we can do. I like using binders that have charcoal in them. And also Quicksilver Scientific makes a really wonderful detox called a push-catch detox. It has two products in it. One is called liver sauce and one is the ultra binder. And so you take the liver sauce first on an empty stomach and then you wait 30 minutes and then you take the ultra binder. And what happens is the liver sauce actually helps to get all of the toxins and draw them out. And then the binder is going to bind to them so that you're not reabsorbing them. And then it works on helping to excrete it out of the body. And there's a lot of different um, herbs like milk thistle in there, but then there's also things to help support bile, like bitters, and things to help to upregulate certain antioxidant genes. So it's a really, really nice combination and it's wonderful. And if someone has 
more heavy metals and really has an issue with things like mercury, they also make liquid glutathione with vitamin C and a product called IMD, which is intestinal metal detox. And that helps to bring mercury into the gut and then bind it in the gut so you're not reabsorbing it in. And that works really, really well. I personally saw a really big difference with mercury and Hashimoto's antibodies that I have after doing the cleansing. I actually had a lot of amalgam fillings, which I had removed about 15 years ago. And then I did a heavy metal detox using these Quicksilver products. And I had quite a lot of mercury. And so it took a little while, probably took about nine months for me to go through all of the protocols and get it out. But I saw a humongous drop in my Hashimoto's antibodies once the mercury was out. So if you do have mercury or other heavy metals, definitely look into this and make sure you also see where they're coming from, right? So if you have a lot of amalgam fillings, that's something that you want to look at. And it's something that is always good to remove, but you want to do it very carefully and you want to do it with a dentist that practices in a natural way. So typically biological dentists are going to be the best for this because if you're removing the mercury, you have to make sure that you're not getting exposed. What some people don't realize is when you drill, the drill gets hot, right? And how mercury is most dangerous is in its vapor form. So if you're drilling into the mercury filling, you're actually creating mercury vapor that you can inhale. So when you see a biological dentist, they usually use something called a rubber dam so that you don't swallow anything. They have high-speed suction. And oftentimes they even give you an oxygen mask so that you're not breathing in that air. And that's very helpful. And if you have a lot of metals in the body and you're removing fillings, it's very helpful to do things like glutathione, vitamin D, and different binders so that in case there is a little bit of exposure, you are binding all of that so you're not getting exposed. And if metals are not your issue, typically there's other toxins that almost all of us are exposed to. So doing a good quality liver cleanse once or twice a year is really, really helpful. And that typically involves eating very clean. So doing something like a paleo or Whole30 or just doing gluten-free and dairy-free with very low sugar for about 21 to 30 days. And typically taking herbs that are gonna have natural cleansing characteristics to them. And so the push catch I was talking about is wonderful. Standard Process makes a really nice cleanse called the 21-day purification cleanse. And it has herbs like milk thistle and dandelion and celadine that work really, really well. Um, there's lots of different cleanses that you can get at the health food store. The only thing I say is that if you're going to do a cleanse, it's really important that you do it together with food. You can't just go to the store, buy a bunch of herbs and say, okay, I'm going to take these herbs and I'm just going to go eat McDonald's, right? Or drink a lot of alcohol. That's just counterproductive. It's not going to work. So you want to eat really clean, which takes the burden off of digestion and then take some of these cleansing herbs so that then the liver has this extra energy to actually cleanse. You also want to be careful about doing fasting type of cleanses that are very short term. So doing something like a three-day juice fast. I mean, that's not bad, right? And you could see some benefits and you might feel a little bit better, but typically three days is not going to be enough to really cleanse the liver and cleanse that much out. So at least 21 days is recommended, you know, 21 days or more of doing a combination of clean eating and some liver herbs. 
the other big trigger is stress. Now, there is an inverse relationship with stress in the immune system. And over time, it causes immune confusion. Now, our body is wired to deal with the stressor by secreting cortisol, our stress hormone. We're wired that way because back in the day, the stressors were things like being chased by a tiger or a bear. So when that happens, you would go into fight or flight and secrete stress hormones that would send blood to your hands and feet so that you can run away. Your body would flood with acid so that in case you're bitten into, you wouldn't taste so good. And then your bowels would evacuate so you can run faster. Things like digesting foods, dealing with infections or reproducing would not be priority when you're being chased by a tiger and would take the back seat. Now today, thankfully, we're not being chased by tigers or bears, but we have so many other stressors. While smaller than being chased, the body still reacts in that same fight or flight hormone secretion way. However, the difference is that in the past, when a stressor would come, it would eventually go away and the body would rest. Today, we have stressors that come up every day, even every hour. So the body never gets that rest that it needs and that causes a lot of immune confusion. We also have to remember that we have two types of stress. There's physical stress and emotional stress. Now, a lot of the triggers we already talked about, so infections, toxins, and the foods that we eat can actually be seen as physical stress because it puts a strain on the body to have to deal with those things. And then the emotional stress is the everyday stress that we often feel. So to support this, we want to first work on lessening those other triggers, which will help with the physical stress with all of the stuff that we just talked about. And then the second would be taking care of the emotional stress. Now to do this is actually a combination approach. And one is through the mind body and the other is through nutrients. Now this twofold approach is really integral. As a nutritionist, I love supplements, but you can support stress through supplements alone, and it really has to be done both ways. So first, we want to look at how we react or respond to stress and work on getting the body and the nervous system to calm down. And some ways that we can do that is through breath work, through meditation, through things like journaling, being in nature listening to music, you know, and then maybe getting things like massage or acupuncture or just sitting quietly. All of this counts and all of this helps so, so much. And then after you have that down, we do have some wonderful supplements that can help with stress and bring our cortisol levels down. Some of the things that we can use is phosphatidylserine. That's actually one of my favorites. I use this a lot. Um, I use actually the PS150 from Designs for Health, and that's a phospholipid that helps to bring down cortisol. It's wonderful to take in the evening. It actually prevents you from waking up in the middle of the night. That can happen a lot with stress, and it's really, really calming. Then we also have adaptogenic nutrients. So those are herbs that kind of work with whatever your adrenals are doing. So if your adrenals are a little upregulated, it helps to bring them down. And if they're a little bit weak, it helps to bring them up. That's why they're called adaptogenic because they adapt and they can adapt from day to day. So some of my favorites for that is the adrenal response, which is by innate and adrenavive, which is by orthomolecular labs. 
I find that doing the supplements together with some of the mind-body approaches is really, really beneficial in balancing cortisol, and it really helps to lower this stress trigger. Now, in addition to some of these stressors, we also have stressors that may be more unconscious or subconscious. And one of these is limiting beliefs that we all carry. Now, you may be surprised to hear that about 90% of everything we're ever going to learn, we learn before the age of seven. However, a logical mind doesn't develop until we're seven. So how do we learn all this? Well, we learn this by picking things up from our parents, our caretakers, without really truly processing it and really understanding it. And many of these learnings get ingrained into our subconscious mind. Then when our logical mind forms and we live our lives, we start to develop our own beliefs. Oftentimes, those beliefs may not be the same as the initial ones that we got. And this can create a lot of conflict within ourselves and may affect many areas of our lives and increase our stress. There's some really cool techniques that we can use to help to deal with some of these limiting beliefs. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that in the coming shows. So to sum it up, While autoimmunity can be scary and confusing and may often seem like it's irreversible unless you suppress the immune system, when we look at things integratively, there's a ton that you can do. So instead of just suppressing the immune system, which acts like a Band-Aid anyway, we can actually go way, way deeper to see what got the immune system confused in the first place. By looking at the different triggers, like the foods you're eating, infections you may have, toxins that could be burdening your liver, and various stressors that you may be exposed to, we can take the burden off the body and off the immune system and allow it to resume normal function. Of course, because we're all different, our triggers may not always be the same. For some, it could be foods like gluten or dairy, whereas others may have candida or Epstein-Barr. Some may have heavy metals like mercury, and some others may have stress, maybe in the form of trauma or just a very demanding life. And typically, when we're dealing with autoimmunity, we tend to have a few of these together. Now, while uncovering these may seem like a daunting task, we have so many wonderful tests that are available so we can check for these things. And once they're identified, there are lots of natural solutions for each one. Autoimmunity does not need to mean a lifelong of suffering. And autoimmunity can be reversed. Yes, I said it. I reversed mine and I helped so many reverse theirs. And chances are, there is likely a way you can help yours too. If you have an autoimmune disease and have not tried looking at these triggers, this is a great place to start. And if doing everything together seems overwhelming, just start with the foods. That alone can make a huge difference. And if you know anyone who has an autoimmune disease, please share this episode with them. It can really help them see the reasons behind their issue and hopefully provide direction and hope in changing the course of their health journey. When it comes to your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.